Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is Tuesday, August 18th, and the Big Ten Conference is officially the worst organization in the world. My name is Chris, joined as always by my co-host, Pat. Uh, I'll be honest with you folks, I don't know how this episode is going to go. There's a lot going on, and I don't really understand all of it. Um, we're going to do our best to make sense of what we do know, what we don't know, maybe predict what's happening, but by the time this episode airs in 12 hours, 18 hours, everything might have changed again. So bear with us. We're going to do our best. Pat, how the hell are you, man? I, I'm still still reeling from the news, and I won't lie, there's, there's a little part of me that hopes, um, that has like this legitimate hope that somehow the season is still going to be played in the fall. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I think there's, they, they say, what is it, the, the five steps of, of grief or whatever, where you go through, you know, denial, anger, bargaining. Still all. on denial. I, I'm definitely in denial still. I, I, I think I went through them all, and now I'm back to denial. Back to denial, okay. I assessed it. I was ready. I'm like, all right, it's over. I'm going to move on. And now I'm back to like, maybe there's a little bit of a chance. <laughs> I know. Um, the Big Ten, Big Ten uh, came out. Last week, I think it is at this point, um, was the first major conference to say that they will not be playing in the fall. Uh, Pac-12 followed soon thereafter. Um, the Can we S- talk about what cowards the Pac-12 are, who clearly already made that decision and then just waited like two hours after the Big Ten? <laughs> you know what? Let's start there. We have, we have a ton to get into, but let's start there. Somebody had to be first, and Kevin Warren the new commissioner of the Big Ten decided that he was going to be the first major conference to cancel, and he is facing a ton of backlash. Where do you uh, where do you stand in the hashtag fire Kevin Warren movement? I it, see. It's so hard to say because like I, you know, I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I really don't understand the extent of like how much like are these players safer in the protocol that they have at the universities? Um, I saw somewhere that like. Oklahoma had no positive tests while they were on campus. They players went home for like a week, came back and they had like nine. So like there's a legitimate case to be made that these kids are a lot safer playing football than not. But like, I also, I'm sure there's a ton of factors that like actually playing the games and the travel and everything else like that is involved with the actual season could make the numbers explode. I really don't know. Um, so like I I can't come right out and be like, you know, this guy made a horrible mistake because maybe he's saving lives. Maybe. Yeah. You know, there's there's that possibility, but it seems like like the the timeline of how it all happened and the more that's coming out is like make it makes it sound worse that maybe the presidents didn't even vote on this. The athletic directors have no idea if the presidents did, um, and why come out with the schedule if like a week later you're going to totally change your mind? Cause not that much changed in that week. Right. It seemed to be basically only other than like a bunch of Rutgers players getting it. It seemed to be mostly positive steps from the university, keeping their kids safe. So I, and, and not to mention there's still like prob there was, I would say there was still enough time that he didn't have to go ahead and just cancel the season right away. Like could have waited longer to find out more and cancel the season, it seems like to me. Yeah, and I think I think that's the core of it all. So first and foremost, of course, we like to have fun here. We joke. I posted some videos. I found a video of just like five minutes of the whole thing. Fuck you, Kevin. And I thought that was hilarious. It didn't do very well on Twitter, but I thought it was really funny. I have no personal vendetta against Kevin Warren. I think that's his name. I hope I'm getting that right. I'm sure he's a good human. I'm sure he has hopefully good intentions for the conference. I don't know. Um, very important disclaimer. Of course, we want the student athletes, the kids to be safe. Like that is priority number one. We don't want anyone getting sick. We don't want anyone dying. Football is not that important in the grand scheme of things. Of course. But it's just a really bad look when there's no transparency. And I think that's the biggest issue of it all is the decision was made so quickly after the schedule came out with no real context. And and even even worse, when he went on like Big Ten Network for interviews they were asking him like very clear, direct questions and he just wouldn't answer any of them. So we'll get a little bit deeper in, into this uh, after we go through some, some other quick hitter questions. Um, but like from a blame perspective and from a what changed perspective, for me, it's very clear that this is just a liability issue where the players started putting out their demands that we are united, that we want these things. 
And then the conference has said, hey, we can't deal with that because that's way too big of a liability if something does happen. So let's table that discussion for a minute. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, going to start with a dramatic reading. We've never done this on the show, but uh, in my stages, stages of denial, grief, all of that good stuff, I asked people, I said, uh, that now it's just sad. Like, let's be sad together. Hit us with what you'll genuinely miss most about the college football season. And this is when I thought all conferences were going to cancel, so now it's more just what are you going to miss about Penn State. Uh, but let's read some of these. We'll put some sad music behind it. Pat, if you want to add, throw some ad-libs for dramatic effect in there, uh, much appreciated. Let's see what I can do. This, this is what most about college football this year. <clears throat> CJ Scalzetti says, crisp, slightly chilly fall day, Halloween decorations all over the neighborhood, kids' soccer games, and the anticipation of an evening PSU game against a big opponent, which is the only thing I think about from the time I wake up. Oh, okay. We feel you. Sorority girls in jean shorts with the bottom of their butts hanging out. <laughs> College game day at PSU. Sad face. Sad face. <laughs> Trying to hold back the tears. Shane Lunnan. August is, t- is the time I typically get excited for the fall. The first came game day Saturday, getting up early, watching college game day, and spending all day trying to watch games, but of course, watching all of PSU's games. I don't know exactly what that meant, but I'm going with it. This has been a ritual since I was a kid. Just going to be sad this fall. Mm. Getting drunk at 9 a.m. <laughs> That's what I said. Honestly, my, my biggest thing was like, starting drinking at 9 a.m. all day. <laughs> uh, and let's finish the dramatics with, with Machu Picchu. Like Machu Picchu. Pulling out my CFP encyclopedia and reading through history as I watch it get made before my own very eyes. 9 a.m. game day programming comes and I'm already up, prepping snacks, and chatting with my dad about our predictions. With love, we will prevail. Throwing up in the frat house shower after a shot going a beer at 8.45. We're, we're taking very different angles. <laughs> all, all valid points. Um, yeah, man, it sucks. It's like, it, it, it really does suck. And I think, I think we're at the point now where so much has transpired that if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 actually do play, and the Big 10 and Pac-12 don't, somebody is going to look like a real idiot because one of two things happens. Things go perfectly fine and the Big Ten and Pac-12 look real dumb or something, God forbid, happens and people get sick and it doesn't go well. And like you said, maybe Kevin Warren's out here saving lives. So I don't know what happens. I really don't. But let's start with just some of our predictions of what we think. So at this point in time, the Big Ten has not said they are going to play in the fall. They said they're looking at potential spring. But there's been a lot of pressure do you think they reverse their decision and start playing in the fall? I think there's a chance, but I if you if I was like I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, yeah, I I don't think it happens. Um, just because I think that would even be a worse look to flip flop that quickly. I mean, it'd be the Michael Scott uh, and his vasectomy. Snip, snap, snip, snap. <laughs> it would just be a terrible look of like, okay, you committed to not playing, and now you're folding under the pressure again. So talking about some of that pressure. Justin Fields, not to be outdone by Trevor Lawrence as, you know, the initial captain of, of NCAA Twitter. Uh, Justin Fields started, started a petition. It is currently at this point in time, 5.09 p.m. Eastern time, up to 273,000 signatures saying that they want to play the Big Ten. I don't think those petitions ever do anything. I sign a lot of them for good causes. I don't know what, like, the next step, like, once everyone signs them, what happens then? People read them. <laughs> right <laughs> like that's that is the funny logic that people are like yo if i sign this it's gonna happen probably not um i think more impactful than the petition is the parents speaking out so a lot of parents from a lot of big tech schools um pat firemuth's mom uh is the the president of the parents association for us um she wrote a, a really nice letter um shane simmons's mom i believe was on a local news station talking about it um sean wade's dad corner from ohio state is actually flying to the Big Ten headquarters to protest in person this weekend with other parents. They're right now, like for real, to say, either give us some real damn good reasons why you changed your mind after the schedule is out, after our kids have been on campus, after they've been practicing, or change it back and make it happen. Um, so do I think they reverse it? No, just because I think logistically at this point, it's 
it's tough. I mean, the schedule's already out. You could theoretically just go with it because I think most teams have kept practicing. Um, I don't know that for a fact. I just think. Um, but I, I don't think they reverse their decision. Let's pivot to the next question. Do you think the rest of the conferences, SEC, ACC, Big 12, actually stick with the plan and do play in the fall? It's like impossible to know because you know you, you already see like pictures and videos of colleges where students are coming back and there's no social distancing. Nobody's wearing masks. And like it, that does not bode well. Like you have to imagine like cases are just going to explode at colleges. Um, I don't know if like maybe the football teams are going to be insulated enough in proper protocol that it won't affect them. I don't know if that's possible. Um, and, and let me also be clear. I, when I was in college, I probably would have been one of these idiots who wasn't social distancing and wasn't wearing a mask. I would probably be doing the same thing. 1000%. I mean, I'm a 30 year old man living in New York city and I'm, I'm safe about things, but I still go sit outside of the bar because they're offering outdoor seating. I wear a mask. I sit out, you know, distance from my friends, but like if it's there, I'm going to do it. If I was a 20 year old college kid, hell yeah, I'm going to my friend's apartment and getting drunk with 40 people in a small apartment to watch the game. Like it's going to happen. Um, I think for definitely for the SEC, and I don't know so much about ACC or big 12, but definitely for the SEC, I think they try. I don't know if they get a full season, but I think they, I think they go full steam ahead into week one. They let week one happen. Cause they put, they've been like hyping up their schedules, like who they're playing week one and SEC country is just another level of psychotic. I, I think they go for week one and then it, it either goes swimmingly and they keep going until they can't anymore. Or again, God forbid something happens where cases spike, hopefully no one gets really, really sick and they have a reason to opt out or to, to give up rather. They can say like, Hey, we tried guys. We tried cases went up. We just can't risk it. Cause at least at that point, like, What's a parent going to say at that point? Or what's a fan going to say at that point? Like, they don't really have a leg to stand on. You know what I mean? Uh, they'll try, but sure. Yeah. Um, so I'll I don't, tell you it's fake or whatever, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I just don't see, I don't, I don't see a way that SEC doesn't at least try week one. Um, all that being said, so let's, let's play the hypothetical. SEC, Big 12, ACC do play in the fall, but Big 10, Pac-12 do not do you think they actually attempt a spring season? I don't know what would make it more likely the big, the, those conferences playing or them not playing. Cause if they don't play in the fall, does that mean that they, they try to push to spring and then everyone plays? Or if they do play in the fall, does the big 20, big 10 and pac 12 go, well, they played, we have to, or do they go, well, at this point, like we're so far behind, who cares? I think that's more likely. I, th I think if, if the the three that are playing right now, if they play in the fall, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 will be like, well, what's the point? Why should we yeah. in the spring? Because I, another thing that I don't fully understand, and if someone does, please explain to me, like why isn't the NCAA more involved in this? I get that they don't have to be, and they're probably just recusing themselves from liability, and Mark Emmert's just hiding in a bunker somewhere. Uh, I've <laughs> heard nothing about any position from the NCAA. Nothing. And, and honestly, for them, like – this, this is their crutch always of like, oh, these are independent conferences with independent schools, so we can't tell them how to do anything, but then you can come in and sanction everything else that you want to. That's another conversation. Um, I, I think if SEC actually do play in the fall, I think it makes zero sense for the others to play in the spring. Um, I think there's just too much complication there. Like the NFL, the NFL doesn't like to change their structure on a lot of things. So you've got the NFL draft, the NFL combine, um, you know, winter, like workouts for guys who are preparing for the draft. Like if you're a big 10 player, then you have to make that real decision of, do I want to play or do I want to go straight to the draft? Um, I, I just, I think it's too much. I think if, I think if SEC, ACC, big 12 decide not to play and say, Hey, let's all push to the spring, all power five in the spring. We find a way to do a shortened season, do it in the bubbles. Like Franklin was talking about um, and, and, you know, have actual college football playoffs and bowl games like we planned on. I think that is more realistic, but I still don't like, I'm still not super confident about it. Yeah. I just, there's so many factors on it. I, like, I, I can't even keep it straight in my head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's why I said like I, for, for everyone listening, I appreciate you listening. Hopefully this is, you know, hopefully you're just like, yeah, I, I don't know that either. And cool. We're all in the same shit together. Um, some of the, some of the questions that I've seen a lot on, 
on Twitter of like, what are the unknowns right now? Uh, scholarships. Nobody really knows what, what's going to be granted. Yeah, eligibility. Uh, if you're an all early enrollee, if you're a freshman coming in, does that count for one season or two seasons? If they play two seasons in the calendar year, there's so much unknown that I, I think it like realistically, and it, it sucks for the players and sucks for the kids. Realistically, the most logical thing is just throw it all to hell and try again next year. <laughs> like, yeah. But then do they all get an extra year of eligibility? I have to imagine they would. Yeah, I, I, I would expect to. But again, then if everyone gets an extra year. It's this weird trickle-down effect of just classes, yeah. That more than 85, right, because you've got your incoming kids that are already part of that class. It becomes a whole clusterfuck. But, like, from a logistics perspective, I think it just makes the most sense um, rather than trying to – because, like, think about it. You're going to have these kids work out all off-season because they're, they're still working out, like – and like they said, like the, the facilities are still open. They can still come in and train, um, which again, I, I do think they're safer there. Um, so they're going to be working out constantly, play some sort of a winter or spring season, get a couple weeks off, work out again, go right back into a normal fall season. Like that's so much wear and tear on a guy's body. Like, yeah, I, if they if they play a spring season, they have to push back the fall season. Yeah, is it, the other thing. But then these other these other three conferences play in the fall. They're not going to push back their fall season just for the Big Ten and the Pac-12. No chance. It's a season that already ends in January, like if you're playing a bowl game. Right. And that trickles down even further then to all these like non-conference games with non-Power 5 teams, right? All those things that are scheduled that they just straight up canceled this year. Guess what? They're scheduled again for next year and the year after. If you're going to keep changing those things, that's going to impact revenue for those schools. That's going to impact revenue for these other sports. Like so many schools are canceling sports flat out because they can't fund them without football. And it's just – it's. The trickle-down economics is unreal, and we'll get back to sort of that that overall, like, why conferences are doing this. And, I mean, to me, this just shows more than anything, like, colleges need college football to survive economically. And, like, the conversation of whether players should be able to make money is a no-brainer in my head now. Like, an absolute no-brainer. The only thing I'm seeing that I think might help the – Big Ten and the Pac-12 still play if the rest of the conferences play in the fall is that they can still have the Rose Bowl. That's the only factor that I go, well, maybe they'd still have a season. Yeah, and that just becomes like the championship between those two because they didn't have – Yeah. It was like, I, I think the NCAA said uh, that they came out and they said that they can't have fall championships but didn't comment on football. I, I, I didn't read the whole thing, but they, they, they said something, but it was super unclear. Um, that, that's, it was. that's an interesting look, though. If they did play in the spring, it was just those two – you have like a conference championship, some Big Ten, best two play, Pac-12, best two play, and then the winners play in the Rose Bowl. That could be kind of – I'd be okay with that. Um, a couple other questions that are floating around is like, do guys get to transfer now? Um, you know, if, if their conference isn't playing, can they go transfer to another school? Um, I mean, I saw someone – someone put it pretty pretty bluntly on Twitter. Like, schools aren't going to – don't have room to accept 30, 40, 50 guys. Like, it's – they're yeah. – there's enough talent in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Like, there's not enough spots on these other schools. It just wouldn't work. Um, and then the other one of do schools attempt to play in another conference. So Nebraska is getting crucified on Twitter and in the media for being very vocal about wanting to play and wanting to play in another conference. Um, the big one is Desmond Howard uh, went in on them. And then, like, a day later, Michigan basically said the same thing, which was really funny. Um, I don't know the logistics of this. I imagine schools are tied into conferences legally with TV rights, with contracts, with all kinds of stuff. I don't know how it would go about, um, but if it were possible, would you want to see Penn State play in another conference for the year? Sure. Fuck it. Why not? Who cares? I don't, I don't care what conference they're in. Yeah. I just want them to play. And like, I, this is of course with the caveat that it all works out and they all stay healthy. Right. But like, yeah, I would just want them to play and have a shot at a championship. It would be it would be really cool to see. Like, I saw a lot of people talking about Ohio State playing an SEC schedule because they would get to play a lot of the heavyweights. Of uh, that was the one thing that I was when Ohio State kind of came out and said that you know we're going to try and play wherever we can. That's the only school I think the Big Ten can't afford to lose. Oh yeah, football. Yeah, like what, what does the Big Ten become? And I hate saying this out loud, but yeah, what does the Big Ten become without Ohio State? Like, they're, they're the only perennial top five program in the Big Ten. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think – The it, only Big Ten team that's been to a playoff, right? 
Has Michigan State been in the playoff? Michigan State was in one, and they Michigan got in one. I think it was the first yeah. got rocked like forty-one nothing or something, right? Yeah, and and Michigan State has kind of fallen apart as a program since then. Yep. Like, a Big Ten has very little leverage against Ohio State. Right, and I, I don't think I don't think, with maybe the exception of Nebraska, because they seem just on their own path right now. I don't think any Big Ten schools would be looking to leave, like for good. Definitely no. But the thing is, like, Ohio State could leave for the season, and the Big Ten would kind of have to let him back in. Whereas, oh. like, if Nebraska did that, the Big Ten could just be like, shoo. Yeah, yes, very true. <laughs> I, think, I think it would be kind of cool to see Ohio State play in an SEC schedule, having to play in Alabama and LSU or Florida, Georgia, like, constantly. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Penn State, the rumor initially was going to the Big 12. Um, that would be really cool, too. You get Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, like, You'd be playing opponents that you don't normally play that there are constant hypotheticals about. I have a friend, shout out Rowdy. I don't think he listens. He's a big time Texas fan. And every year we have the conversation, hey, if they played head to head, what would happen? Well, who do you think would win? And of course, Penn State. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, but it would be cool to see some of those hypotheticals be played out where the only other opportunity you have right now is in a bowl game or in the college football playoff. And let's be honest, those dream scenarios don't really line up all the time. So, all that being said, um, don't really think that, don't think we're playing in the fall. Um, I'm not super confident about the spring, but let's let's play out that last hypothetical of if there is a spring season, we have guys that would have to make that tough decision of do I play or do I just declare? We've seen a ton of people opting out already. Uh, Mike Parsons for us, we'll get to that in a bit. Opting out regardless of when the season happens. Uh, some other big names, uh, Greg Rousseau, DN from. Um, Miami is out. Um, uh, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota is out. There, there's uh, a Del Moore. Del Moore, yeah, exactly. There's there's a, enough big time guys that opted out regardless of when the season's happening. Um, I was kind of surprised Fields and Lawrence were both like all in. They're all in. What do you think about that? I guess a little jealous. I won't lie. As a top quarterback, though, as a guaranteed like first round pick quarterback, would you play? It just depends on my situation, you know? Like, I understand Micah. Micah's got a son. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's he – he's going to basically either risk getting his son sick with a potentially deadly virus or just not see him at all for, like, five months. Yeah. Those aren't two really viable options. Yep. No, I, I completely agree, and, and we'll get to Micah in a little bit. And I, I made a video when the first thing came out, like – fully support him and his decision. I mean, that's what a lot of professional athletes are opting out for is that they want to be with their family and they don't want to risk it. Like, yeah, Mike is, Mike is a top 10 pick. He's going to get paid so much money. You can't risk it. Um, but that's why I was a little, I was a little surprised with, I mean, quarterbacks, especially like people were talking at the end of last, not this. Yeah. The end of last season, like Trevor Lawrence or at the end of his first season, rather <laughs> like if he could sit out two years and then just go to the NFL, he'd still be a top pick. Um, like, I don't think Fields or, or, or Lawrence have anything to worry about. Um, I guess they just really, really want to play. So, admirable. I just – I was a little shocked. I expected both of them to be like, yeah, deuces. Um, for us, all right, Pat Fryermuth, let's start there. He was very vocal that he's not opting out uh, at first before the Big Ten canceled. Um, I said it in my video. I was like, maybe Fryermuth's next. Someone tweeted at him. <laughs> he replied with a gif of like – Close, but so wrong. Um, basically saying, like, he, if it gets moved to the spring, in this hypothetical, NFL doesn't adjust a whole lot. I can't see him playing. It's, it sounds, like, logically, I would say you're right, but it sounds too much like he just wants to play. And he is a psychopath, and I mean that in the most loving, best way possible. Like, yeah. The guy loves football. He loves hitting people and, and – I think for him, I think he's a first-round lock, but I think another great season. I don't know that he's a lock, though. I think he's a – because tight ends don't go super early in the draft. Um, that might be changing a little bit with the evolution of the tight end position, but I think he's a guy who is a potential first-rounder, but it's not definite. Yeah, I see it right now as a, like, guarantee late round one. And I mean, I probably said the same shit about Etor last year. and that He didn't. did. So, so maybe I'm wrong here, but right now, if I were sitting here right now, I would say he's a guarantee late round one and a great season could bump him up into like the top 15. Uh, I, I think a great, I think if he played this season and played like remotely, like we think he's capable of, he becomes a, 
a pretty much automatic first round pick. But I think he needs to be an automatic first round pick. I think he needs to play. That's fair. I mean, I disagree, but that's fair. Um, and I, I think too, like we talked about with, uh, with uh, our guy Brett from pick six previews, like the battle of, of him and Kyle Pitts down in Florida to be the number one tight end um, is, is a battle. And if the SEC's playing, that means Pitts gets some tape. That's kind of cool. interesting. Yeah. Uh, so let's rapid, rapid fire through the rest of these guys. Again, if there is a spring season, uh, do you think they play or do you think they go straight to the NFL and, and train for whatever that process looks like? Uh, Shaka Tony. I think he plays, uh, first of all, just from listening to his mom on Twitter. And secondly, I think he's actually a guy with a big season that could sneak into the first round. Yeah, he, and he's one that doesn't, he doesn't get talked about a ton on like the, the pro football focus and the early, early mock drafts. Like You don't hear his name a whole lot, so I, I, I think he does play. He uh, has, I mean, he, his stats his past season are very similar to Caleb on Chason, who went in the first round this season. Yeah, yeah. He had the same amount of sacks. He just doesn't have the tackles for loss that Chason does. Okay. But also, he has a full – another full season coming up. Yeah, so wait, you're looking at stats for career or for last year? What are you looking at? Just last year. Wow, interesting. Okay, how many – They did- both had six and a half sacks. Oh, okay. And, like, you, you got to think without Yitor in there and, like, you know, final season – if he had a big year, he could put up double-digit sacks. Oh, definitely. I, I think I think Shaka is one of the most talented DMs we've seen in a while. I think with him, what you've seen is it's been his evolution. He started as a pure speed guy, and then he got his technique better, and then he became a full, you know, three-down rusher and, and a power guy. And like every year, he's gotten a little bit more and a little bit more. And this is the season where you expect him to be that fully dominant, complete end. Um, so I agree. I think he plays the opportunities there. And I was looking at not the 2020 draft, the 2019 draft, um, the averages, because only one, only two guys, DNs got selected in this draft. Um, 2018, it was a, 2019, it was a big pool of DNs. Yeah, is that the Nick Bosa? Uh, I, I took out Nick Bosa because he only played three games. Right. The average of the first round DNs were 15 tackles for loss and 10 sacks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's doable for him in a full season, absolutely. And it would actually go down if you added Nick Bosa's last full season. He only had eight and a half sacks in his last full season. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's a guy. I mean, <laughs> that guy's just a, a genetic freak, so I think yeah. he's up there anyway. That being said, I, I agree. I think Chaka Tony plays if possible. Let's stay on the D-line there. Jason Oway, very interesting prospect. He is, he is a guy who came in very raw, has a ton of speed, a ton of skill, shined in flashes last year. Um, and for some reason, I, I don't say this, like this sounds negative when I say it, but for some reason he has unbelievable first round hype right now without a ton of on-field experience. It's, it's like, I'm happy that that's the case, but I'm a little confused based on just raw athletic ability. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what he wants. I think if he wants to go in the first round again, he has to play because all that first round hype I think is based off of what people believe he will do this season with that athletic talent and being a full-time starter like last yes, year. Yes, exactly. For the, yeah, for the first time, you know, more experience in football, all of that is all of what the first round hype is based off of. I, he would still get drafted because of what a physical freak he is, but it would be a lot lower. Yeah, I agree. I think he plays, uh, I think, I, I personally think based off of like a, a good combine alone, if he really does run in the four threes, like he does, if he runs in the four threes, shows off his speed in like the three cone drill and does well in a combine, even without a season, I could see him being like a, a second or third rounder, which is insane to me. Having like, I think he had a couple hundred on the field snaps, like in his career. It's insane, but that's the talent. So yeah, I, someone will take a chance on him, yeah. but it won't be as high as it, nearly as high as it could be. Right, I think plays and has a big season. Like late two, early three, we'd be like, yo, maybe we're getting a steal here. Um, but I, I would love to see him play. I would love to see Shaq Tony, Jason Oa line up end to end and just crush it this season if there's a season. Uh, let's keep moving. Journey Brown. Uh, could sit out, but again, could have a huge boost to his draft stock if he plays. Yeah, and, and that's a tough one because I think – he ended last year on such a high note, like even in a, in a, you know, running back by committee, uh, had that huge coming out party, if you want to call it that, at Cotton Bowl, um, kind of has the, you know, Penn State running back momentum going with Saquon and Miles doing so well. Like, I, again, I think he's a guy, if, if they played in the spring and he had to make that decision, 
if he decided not to play and go to the draft, I still think he gets drafted very high. Um, but he's a guy who we're going to say this for most people <laughs> with, with a full season could do wonders for his draft stock. Um, Lamont Wade. I think has to play. Um, if he didn't, I, you know, he'd get the benefit of the doubt, I think because of what a weird season it is, but I think he'd be a late round draft pick if he yeah. doesn't play. He's a guy who could be a middle to high round draft pick if he does. Yeah. I think, I think there's just not enough tape on him. Like last year was exactly last year was great. Just not enough. Uh, going to the, you know, let's stay in the secondary. I didn't write these out very logically. I'm like bouncing all around. Let's stay in the secondary. Uh, Tariq Castro-Fields. Would, again, if he wants to be drafted, would have to play. Yep. Jaquan Brisker, your boy. Same. He's got one season of NCAA exactly. uh, 1A, you know, yep. not even being a full-time starter. Yep. Staying on, staying on the defense. Antonio Shelton, 50-yard guy. I think he'd play just one. It's his last. I think he would too. I think one, it's his last season. He's kind of a, a fringe draft guy as is. Um, I think for him, he'd be, Hey, I want to play, show people what I'm worth, get myself into those middle rounds and, and give myself a puncher's chance. Um, let's finish up with a couple other guys. And then there's two that I'll get to in a minute. Um, Michael Mennett and Will Fries, O-lineman. I, again, I think we'd both have to, if they want to be drafted, we'd both have to play. See, I, I think it's interesting for – I think Mennett has come along really well. I think Fries I think Fries has – I don't think his tape is nearly as good, but I think Mennett has gotten some hype over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, as an O-liner, there's just, there's just so much on your body. He's a center too. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying he should just go, but it'd be interesting. I, I, it wouldn't shock me if he was one of those guys who's like, you know what, I've got the talent. I know I can go mid-rounds and, and do well in the NFL. I'm going to go. Like, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and then for two of the younger guys that a lot of people, a lot of people, like I've put these questions out on Twitter and almost, almost every single time without fail, people say, Hey, you're forgetting Rashid Walker and PJ Mustafer. So offensive linemen and defensive linemen, both younger guys, I think true would be true juniors. I, I think they've both had two years. I think you're right. Um, personally, I, I don't think so because again, I just don't think there's enough tape like Rashid Walker was coming into his own as a left tackle last year. But if you can become a prominent left tackle and go in the first round or the second round even, like, why not? I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't if I were him. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of teams are taking offensive linemen based off of are coming into their own, have played one season. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I, I mean, it's just it's so interesting because there's so many unknowns. Like, a lot of, the, a lot of this decision point isn't like – the normal decision point of leaving early, you've said it a bunch of times, am I a first or second round guy? If not, I should probably stay. I think this changes so much just because of the unknowns of what's happening with college football. What does the schedule look like? Are we playing two seasons in 11 months? Like, I think there's just so many unknowns. I think you're going to see more guys as a whole declare early and opt out than you would in a normal year. Yeah. And I, I also think they'll get the benefit of the doubt of the NFL because at a point, the NFL has to go, all right, well, what do we think this would have looked like in, a, in with an extra season under their belt? Yep. And to I, an extent. I, 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 that's what I'm honestly the, – the biggest thing I'm interested to see is how this affects the NFL because, again, normally every year uh, guys will go train for, I think, something like four to six weeks or six to eight weeks. A lot of them, you know, their agents put them up in houses and they get, you know, the, the skill coaches they are working with a specific guy. They're training like crazy training for the combine drills, you know, need to show out at the combine the interviews. Like there's a lot that goes into that, that month and a half before the combine and the draft. And like, if there's some conferences playing in the spring, but some not like, what do you do for the NFL? You're not going to just throw off your entire calendar for, some people, if all the conferences play, it's it's a whole thing. Like I put my I put my own brain in a pretzel trying to think about this. I don't understand what the people in charge are actually doing. No idea. That being said, um, anything else on like current hypotheticals before we get into sort of deeper of what's actually happening with college football right now? Yeah. How about hypothetically? how good this Penn State team was going to be. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think this is, this was going to be the best Penn State team in over a decade. This yeah. was a team that had, could have been the best front seven in college football. Mm-hmm. It is a no brainer top five. 
Uh, Sean Clifford, the extra year under his belt, under Kirk Scirocco, who has shown he can really work with quarterbacks. Pat Frymuth coming back when a lot of people thought he would uh, go to the NFL. A stacked running back room. And I think probably the best offensive line Penn State's had in like a decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, seen a lot of people say that. I think Micah tweeted it himself. Like, man, this year was going to be special. Yeah. Mon's been talking about it. Um, it sucks, man. It, it's really sad to think about that. And I think what I've tried to like resonate with is as sad as it is for us, the fans, like I feel so bad for the guys in that locker room. Yeah. If you're counting on this year, like it sucks. Um, I mean, I, listen, it was an outside shot, but this was a Penn State team that had a chance at winning a national championship. I, I completely you can't tell me when the last time that was a legitimate thing you could say. Yeah. I mean, 2016, we kind of like lucked our way into some of that. We got into the Big Ten Championship. And I will love that year forever. We all, like Penn State fans will hang their hat on that until we win another championship. Um, and I do as well. But like, yeah, we weren't from a pure talent standpoint. Like this year has the most talent, the most depth. I mean, maybe there's some positions you could say were better back then. Like, sure, Trace was probably in a better spot. Maybe the wide receiver depth was better. But well, it was. end-to-end talent standpoint, offense, defense, special teams, coaching everywhere this year. Offensive was, line. Offensive line. We say it every goddamn year that this year is going to be the year, but I really believed it this time. I actually believed it this time. That is that is like the calling card. Is if Pat Kalik <laughs> is going to be good, that means something. Um, the only thing I think about when I try to like play devil's advocate on this is if there is a spring season, if, if somehow we do play in the fall, like the team still is there. Like even if we play in the spring, yes, we lose Mike Ovich. You replace it. It's not over. I'm, I'm, and maybe if you lose, say you lose Pat for the spring too, Pat Frymuth, not Pat Colicchio, he'll still be here on the commentary. Um, even if you lose Michael Parsons, Pat Frymuth to first round picks, all Americans cannot replace them. You still have a really damn good team. So that's kind of where I'm trying to keep my like positivity on is hopefully there's a way to do some sort of bubble winter league or bleed it into the spring, however you got to do it, where we know Mike is not playing, give Pat Frymuth his chance, and like hopefully we have a chance to see this team play. If it's in a short season, if it's in a weird season, so be it. Kind of like baseball right now. Like, yeah, it's a weird season. It's only 60 games, but – I'm still watching the Yankees crush home runs every night. Like, Oh, yeah, they're going to win the World Series. It's fun to watch. And for those kids, it'll be fun to play one last season, and they will look back on this forever and say, hey, you guys remember that, that 2020 season with coronavirus where we played in the, in the domes in Indianapolis and Detroit, and we only played eight games and didn't really have a college football playoff, but we fucking crushed it? Pretty cool memory to have. Yeah, it'll be a 30 for 30. Oh, my God, it's going to be great. All right. Deep breaths, everyone. Deep breaths. We're angry. We're sad. It sucks. Um, I want to get a little bit deeper here. Um, this one is going to be a shout out to our friend Brandon Beal, has been on the program a couple of times now. Um, I'm going to preface this saying I don't agree with this stance. I'm just relaying what Brandon has said. He and I have had some, I'll say heated discussions, some good arguments. Um, and the question becomes, where do you place more blame on the current sort of stalemate. And let's, let's focus just on the Big Ten. Uh, I, I don't really know what all the other conferences are saying. But basically saying, do you blame the players or do you blame leadership? And his argument for players, and, and maybe we'll have to get him on here to explain this fully, um, is saying the Big Ten put a schedule out. The Big Ten had protocols. The Big Ten was ready to move forward with a season. And then the article started coming out. I think Pac-12 did it first of the – Hashtag we are united. Then the Big Ten followed uh, with a hashtag Big Ten United um, and basically started putting out demands saying we want universal safety protocols, we want the liability waivers gone, we want XYZ, we want our families to be able to have Big Ten access, we want this, we want this. And basically, and sometimes explicitly saying we want to organize and we want to form a players association. So Brandon's argument is by doing that, you forced the conference to say, well, we, we can't have a season then. My personal opinion, I think this just shows the conferences and the school's true colors, like I mentioned earlier. Like, it, it, to me, it could not be clearer that this is all about money and liability because you're, you're sitting there saying, we stand to lose 
tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions. Please donate. Please help us. We have to cut this. We have to cut that. Like multiple schools were saying that. Wisconsin said they were going to lose $100 million. Like you're saying all of these things, and the players say, hey, we want universal safety. We want this. We want this. And you say, okay, cancel. So that's a high-level view of it all. I know I just rambled a whole lot. But from that perspective and that argument, like where where do you put the blame in from – for me, I don't put any on the players, but I can kind of see what he's saying. So, I mean, I agree with Brandon in that I think the, I, it's very reasonable to assume that the only reason the Big Ten canceled their season is because of that. Yeah. If the players hadn't come out and done all that, the Big Ten would have continued their season. However, I don't think you can place blame on the people who are, who are right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, if, I ask, if you ask me to come over your house and I go – Okay, but I'll only come over to your house if you don't murder me. And you go, well, I'm sorry, I can't invite you. I, I just can't invite you over then. It's not my fault that I'm not coming to your house. It's a great analogy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, so I, I think, uh, and I hate speaking for Brandon. Brandon, if you're listening, we'll have you on, buddy. We'll talk about all of this. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like, just seeing that side of the argument is like, all right, the players – the players said they wanted these things, probably took it a little too far by saying like, hey, we want a players associations, we want this. I don't think that's like, I don't They think- probably thought there was going to be some kind of negotiation though. Right. right. No. But like in the eyes of the organizations, it's probably a little too far. Um, and I think where they, where they might've really shot themselves in the foot is they put out these demands of we need safety protocols, we need this, we need that, we need this. But then when the Big Ten said, okay, we're not going to play, they really kind of flip-flopped and said, hey, we feel safe, we want to play. You can't really have the demands and then say you feel safe. So, like, I I think there's just, like, I don't think there's a right way to go about it and right way to communicate because there's no players association and there's no no union, so there is a right way. So I think think they tried and I think they did the best they could given the circumstances, like, hey, put out your demands. And, again, I don't think any of the demands were unreasonable. I think they were all very reasonable. but I, I kind of get what like the logic is of, hey, you can't say put demand saying you want safety measures and then say, hey, we feel comfortable our school is safe. Like that, that is a little bit of a pickle. Yeah, there's, I, I, I think there's blame that you can put on the players for, and again, I think he's right that it's why the season got canceled. Yeah. And maybe with the amount or the severity of the demands, you can put some blame on them but I think the majority of the blame has to go on the Big Ten. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think, like, in a perfect world, the Big Ten sees that and says, okay, hey, listen, we hear you. We understand you. Um, these are the universal protocols that we're putting in across all schools and for all travel measures. And, like, realistically, why wasn't that a thing from the get-go, here nor there? Um, like, hey, we hear you for all that. You know, we're not going to make you sign the liability waivers, which I, I've read somewhere that, like, some some – Someone ruled them illegal. I don't know if that's true or not, but basically, like, where has to sign waivers that was like, hey, if I die, I can't school to school. Why the fuck would you play as an unpaid student athlete with no insurance, no coverage, nothing? And may, I don't know the details. I'm not claiming to be like an expert on this. Why would you sign your life away for a school that's going to make a hundred million dollars because of you playing the sport? Like that to me is is again as clear as day. When a school says, hey, we're going to lose $100 million if this doesn't happen. Well, guess what? You just told me. I saw someone tweeted that. Someone tweeted like, uh, it was like LSU said, uh, if we didn't play, we'd lose $80 million. Someone quote tweeted, it was like, all I heard was the LSU football team is worth $80 million. Where's their money? Like, it, it, it forces the hand of you have to have that conversation now. Um, so that leads us into the next question. Like, where do you think college football goes from here from the standpoint of, players organizing, having some sort of union or representatives, and eventually finding a way to monetize, whether it's name, image, likeness, whether it's actual some sort of revenue split. I, again, I don't, I don't know. I'm not necessarily asking, like, what, are the, what does that specifics look like? Of how do they do that? Or what do you think, like, the next steps and timeline is for where this goes? Yeah, I mean, the name, image, likeness, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with. I think you got you to gotta pay these guys if you're using them like that. Um, revenue split, I don't see happening. Uh, one reason I think it would kill small schools, any school that doesn't have a perennial powerhouse, like 
hugely revenue generating program would just get decimated by revenue sharing. Not to mention they would never pick up another like sizable recruit ever. Yeah. They, they, they would get killed in recruiting and there'd be like so many kids. I think it would be a lot of kids would end up making mistakes of going to schools where they could split revenue instead of going to a school that's right for them because they could get paid immediately. And yeah. They'd lose out on big money in the future potentially because they went to the wrong place. Right. And I, and I think that's fair. I think, I think how do you do a revenue split or how do you, you know, players to be paid at some point? I think that's, that's such a deeper conversation than that. There's so many different ways. Like I agree with you on that. The name image likeness is stupid, stupid, stupid. Sell their jerseys. If their money is being made on jerseys, they get a cut. Let them sell pictures and autographs. Let them do whatever they want. That's sure. There's complications there too. Cause then you got to introduce agents and brand deals and sponsorships. And I, I get it. It's complicated. It would have to be like the, the way Penn state has the media. Who, who was the, the woman that reaches out to us when we ask players to do interviews. <laughs> yeah, head, head of like media communications. I, yeah. I it would have to be something like that where it's all done through the university. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's, it's messy and it's ugly. But I think what it comes down to for me in the simplest form, I've said it a couple times already. If a school is telling me that they're going to lose $100 million when a team will not play the sport, that tells me that that team is worth, has a value of $100 million. Now, I'm not saying that they should get all that money or the money or even a percentage of that money, but you cannot tell me that they are amateurs. You cannot tell me that they are athletes and class comes first. They are feeding your revenue. They are contributing directly to your profits. Like You can't tell me that that's not true. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know the logistics. I don't know how you figured it out. But guess what? I don't get paid to figure those things out. Presidents of universities and chancellors and commissioners, they get paid to figure that shit out. And they get paid quite a bit of money. So listen, if you have a job to lead and be in charge of an organization that drives $100 million of revenue, figure out a way to take care of the people who are driving that revenue. End of rant. Yeah, something has to happen to these players. It can't go on the way it has been for years. Yeah, college, college sports is too big of a business, and these schools just make way too. These schools and the NCAA make way too much money off of people working for them for free. And I, I'm, I'm done with the argument. Like, oh, they, they got a college education. I'm sorry. Are, are you really trying to tell me that Micah Parsons has not given a the equivalent revenue back of what a degree would cost to Penn State for the money he's raised through football. J.J. Redick at Duke, back when he was the most popular player on the and most hated player on the planet. Like guys like this, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You really think they haven't generated more revenue than what a college degree costs? Yeah, and people have started doing studies of like what their impact is and what how much money they've done, and it far outweighs. I mean do the highest of estimates, even if it's a hundred thousand dollars over how many years with extra credits and out of state and everything, the, the highest, highest estimate they've driven far more than that. And on top of that, what people have talked about too, is starting doing studies of like off of someone's social media presence, how much money could they earn themselves? If they were able to like, it's crazy. A lot, a lot of them are uh, female sports, uh, um, some Oregon softball players, Haley Cruz uh, on TikTok. She's fantastic, hilarious, follow her. Um, but there, there's people like who could be making six figures for themselves off social media alone. Like, so it, again, it's not, it's not necessarily, you don't have to sit there and say, hey, we are going to pay these people salaries or hey, we're going to give them a split. But you got to find a way to make this, like you said, it's, it's a business and they're driving revenue for you and they're bringing in a whole lot more money than what that degree is worth. Now, granted, should they be getting their degree and, and also being a student? Yeah, sure. Because you can't have it just full, full semi-pro. Like, they can't be just athletes. Micah said he's graduating. He's graduating early. He's, he's going to have his degree, go to the NFL, be a top 10 pick. That's fucking awesome. That being said, if he had some sort of terrible injury, like a Jalen Smith a couple years ago, or uh, that other linebacker, I'm blanking on his name, Miles Jack, um, like these guys – lose millions and millions of dollars because they slip in the draft. Like there's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting off topic. Well, not I'm getting off topic, but I'm just ranting. There is so much money in this industry and the people in charge are getting paid so much money to be in charge. And 
the takeaway. So, yeah, and if you need more evidence that the university itself cares more about these kids as athletes than they do as students, how about the fact that UNC was making up fake classes for their athletes? Yeah, like you're you're gonna tell me it's it's like these kids' fault that they're putting a- athletics in front of education? Well, that's the thing too. Even even now, like Penn State is okay bringing students back for fall semester. There's going to be 40,000 kids on campus and they're saying that's okay, but they're not going to play football because they would have liability. If a student gets sick on campus, they have no liability. Not that I'm aware of at least, but if, if they play football and someone gets sick or hurt, then they're going to get sued or they're going to, you know, they have to assume liability. So it, it's just, it's the whole thing's a clusterfuck. Like I said, my, my biggest takeaway from all of this is you just, you can't hide behind that mask of amateurism anymore. You can't, you can't do it. And I, I think when I, when I say, like, where do you think college football is going from here? I think with guys like Fields and Lawrence doing what they're doing, uh, and there's a bunch of others. I'm sorry, I don't know all their names. Uh, you know, those two are the faces of it. I, I think if college football players really, really want to make a stand and really take this thing to the next level, it's going to take some significant, like, sacrifice, if you will, of, like, top game guys at some point sitting out or pushing back or saying I'm not playing without this um, I don't think that'll happen because each guy's college lifespan is so short like you're only in college for three or four years you're not going to give up one of them you know if you're a top guy um, but I, I do think you're going to see momentum from this I think you're going to see players organize I think you're going to see the, the real attempts to unionize um, and I don't think the NCAA or the conferences have much of a leg to stand on. I think it'll be a slow burn. I think it'll be five years, 10 years before you see real, real impact. But I think the actual organization will start materializing over the next year, 18 months. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm Chris Hankin and those are my thoughts. Um, (laughs) All right, let's, let's wrap up uh, with a little bit of a bittersweet topic. Um, We mentioned earlier, Micah Parsons has opted out formally, regardless of when the season happens, if the season happens, your boy is going to the NFL. Um, Yeah. It's it's a little sad. What what are your general thoughts on Micah? I get it. You know what? I get it, but I'm going to miss you. All right. And I, it's honestly one of my biggest regrets as a Penn state fan that I don't get to watch him play one last season. It's like up there with that fourth and five play, how much I regret not being able to watch Micah Parsons play for one last season and lead that def- lead such a great defense. It is, it is heartbreaking, but again, I wouldn't expect him, especially with a kid to make a different decision. This decision's not just about him. It is not about me at all. Yeah. Not about the rest of you. Yep. Sorry. Yep. <clears throat> Yeah, it's and that's the thing too. Like uh, that was the first time I had seen his son in that video. Super cute. Um, like good for him. Also, a uh, quick PSA: Micah Micah Parsons' Twitter account was hacked. If you haven't seen that random account on your timeline, just posting all kinds of shit that you don't follow, that was Micah. Like some guy who pretends to be like an Iranian prince or something, right? Yeah, it's very weird. I, I saw it on my account. I was like, what? I think I follow this guy. Um, but Micah, Micah did get hacked. He has a new account. We, we got confirmation from Jesse Lucetta that it is in fact him. So give, give him a follow. We'll, we'll link it out there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of these, a lot of these guys come to college to play football. I mean, was it Cardell Jones, right? We didn't come here to play school. We came here to play football. Like, yes, sure. They're student athletes. I love that particularly at Penn state guys get degrees and graduate. I love that Franklin has done that. Like that's super important. That being said, if you have a chance to go in the first round and get paid 20 plus million dollars, that will change your family's life. Like not just, not just secure you that changes your family's life and you can take care of you and yours. Dude, I would do that a million times out of a million. Like he, and it's funny. I said, I said in my video, I was like, I don't think anyone actually blames him. I think, I think that's just the narrative of like people, people like saying, well, you can't blame them. But then I saw people actually blaming him. Like, there's some scumbags on Twitter, man. Oh, really? There's someone who was All like, the comments I saw were pretty understandable. Yes, most of them were. I saw a couple, a couple were like, uh, uh, one was like, uh, oh, wow, didn't you know, quit on your team when they needed you the most? Uh, one was like, uh, give that jersey back, you don't deserve it. Or give that scholarship back to someone who actually wants to be there. 
And then people. Well, he is. He's graduating. Yeah, exactly. And that's what people. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know what they're talking about. It's like, well, no, no, no he's graduating. And he's going fuck up. Um, but yeah, like, obviously, like, I'm very happy for Mike Parsons. Um, he is going to be a top 10 draft pick. Uh, he is hyped from every analyst I've seen loves him. Matt Miller, Bleacher Report, uh, Connor Rogers, who we've had on the show, both already talking highly about him. Pro Football Focus that he's the best linebacker prospect in 10 years. Um, I don't love Pro Football Focus, but this fits my narrative, so let's talk about it. That's normally my stance on them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I think your point of, like, he was the key to this defense of, like, being one of the best we've seen in our recent memory. It would have been really fucking cool. Although I have heard the argument that I has a, I think has a lot of merit that if Penn State could actually afford to lose one starter, he was he it was like one star. It yeah. was him because they have depth at linebacker and a ton of talent and a lot of young talent. Now most of it is not proven yet, but you know who else could they have lost? Like maybe a running back, yeah, maybe Journey Brown. Yeah, but it, it is a position that they were uniquely well suited for guys to step up with, and uh, none of them are going to be. No offense to them, none of them might not be Micah Parsons, but them collectively can fill that hole. Yeah, and it's like uh, watch Moneyball. Yeah, yeah, and Canseco and Damon leave, and they go. Well, you don't need to replace him with another Canseco or Damon. You can replace him with three guys that, that put up what he does. Yeah, he gets on base. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. It's almost like the, uh, it's almost like the, was it the wins above replacement stat in baseball? Like how much of a difference do they make? I, I disagree in the fact that I, I think Micah, I think he's generational. Like he, he is like a Saquon to us. And again, it's, you know, it, the, your positional value and, and how deep you are. Like, yeah, I think we're super deep at linebacker, most unproven, like you said. Um, I, yeah, I think if we lost Journey or if we even if we lost Pat Fryermuth, I think he got a ton of talent at tight end. Um, so I mean, it's a stupid argument to have. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, like, how you said it would be like losing Saquon. Well, we did lose Saquon, and it wasn't that big of a step down to Miles My- Sanders. True. Very true. Very true. So yeah, I think I think I mean we're gonna we're gonna see like is Brandon Smith gonna be that dude? Is he gonna be that five star? Is Lance Dixon gonna be that dude? Is fucking Curtis Jacobs who's coming in. Is he that dude? Like I'm a big fan. I, I'm, I'm excited for him. There's a lot of talent. Um, I did see one guy, one guy replied to me because uh, I was talking like I was like, I said, I said like going to miss, going to miss Micah, like super happy for him. You know, would have loved to see him one more year. And uh, what, what did I say? Let's see. Oh yeah. Cause it was the picture of him with all the all Americans uh, when he, when he got his plaque on the wall. Oh, I saw this guy. Yeah. So the guy goes, I mean, compared to those greats, what was his biggest impact? He played well in a Cotton Bowl game that we still would have won without him. But first and foremost, shout out to uh, American Kid underscore two for following us, for interacting with us. I love chatting with people. I like your question. That being said, it's a stupid question. So not really sure we would have won that Cotton Bowl game without him. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, it was kind of a slobber knocker. Like, you look back, they scored a lot of points. That with- turnover was huge. Yeah, he had the one – didn't he? One that popped out and went right into Garrett Taylor's hands. Yep. So yeah, that was a big, big moment in that game. Play. Um, I, I think from and I, I said I think on the field uh, speaks for itself. Like he was an All American in his second year at a new position, and he led us to the bowl game that you claim we would have won without him. So I think that speaks for itself. Um, but what I was really like interested in, I figured like. I thought there would be some good recruiting impact, so I pulled the numbers. I don't know if you saw this tweet. Um, 24-7 sports. They rank each school's top recruits of all time. Uh, it goes back to 2000. This is when recruiting databases started. Um, Micah Parsons are number two overall. Only one he's behind is Derek Williams. They're both five stars. Both They do like .99994, .99996, whatever it is. Um, he's our number two overall. If you look at our top 100 guys, every position, top 100 guys, since Micah, we've gotten Brandon Smith, who is our number eight overall, Curtis Jacobs, who is our number 12 overall, and Lance Dixon, who's our number 79. Um, In that same class, Jesse Lucetta is like number 103, um, committed after Micah. So you could say the impact on the linebacker room 
and showing top linebackers, hey, it's good to come to Penn State and succeed and regain LBU, you could say Micah did that. So I was like, all right, let me look back and see, like, when the last guys that we've had in our top 100 are. You have to go back to 2010 to find a top 100 recruit for Penn State. And that was uh, Mike Hull and Kyrie Fork. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I I think that's his name. That's crazy to me. Like, we are LBU, quote-unquote. You look at – and, yeah, of course, guys – you know, there are guys that are under-recruited that turn out to be stars. Pazlozny's not in our top 100, but turned out to be pretty damn good. Um, And there are guys that outplay their rankings. There are guys that are top-ranked and don't play well. I get all of that. But if you want to just look on the impact of recruiting, Michael Parsons has done wonders for the linebacker position. Yeah, and like you just said, all those things tend to average out. Like the guys that are under-recruited and play incredible, the guys who are huge recruits and don't play well, those things generally average out. Yeah. So having huge recruiting classes still matters. Yeah. You Listen, you'll always take four and four guys over the two and three stars. Like you're, you're always going to see those graphics of Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt and now Joe Burrow of like, hey, these guys were two stars and they, and they became NFL superstars. Yeah, that's the exception, dude. Like winning. Yeah, I'm sure Peyton Manning was a five star, though. So winning teams have majority four and five stars. Micah Parsons has done that for us by showing linebackers it is good to come to Penn State. Same thing Saquon did with running back. Like, yeah. you know, Ohio State isn't winning the Big Ten every season with two and three star recruits, okay? Right. right. Listen, I love Trace McSorley to death. He was a three star, turned out to be amazing. We got excellent production out of him. If there was a five-star number one recruit in that class, and I could probably look back, there's probably a stud in the NFL. Yeah, I'd probably take that guy. Like, it's simple logic. So, shout out to that guy. Mike is a stud. Has done well for us. Sucks we didn't get another full year out of him. But again, he's gonna go top ten. I firmly believe top ten um, and make a shit ton of money. Uh, so, I did a little research. Recent draft history. So, I looked at the last five of when the top linebacker went in each draft. 2020, Isaiah eighth. There were four linebackers total in that first round. 2019, you had Devin White, fifth, Josh Allen, seventh, and Devin Bush, tenth. So three in the top ten. 2018, you had Ro- Roquan Smith, eighth. 2017, Hassan Reddick, 13th. Uh, I'm going, my, my dates are wrong. One year back. Stay with me, folks. Uh, and then the year before that, 2016, uh, Leonard Floyd, ninth. So the last five, last five drafts, there have been at least one linebacker in the top 13 picks. Um, he's going to be a top 10 is just, he's a freak, man. This, the speed alone, like teams are going to, and teams are getting versatile. You look at your, you know, Derwin James's and, uh, you know, what Isaiah Simmons was last year, guys that can play and be used in multiple, multiple positions on the defense are so valuable. Mike Parsons is going to be that dude for someone. And I hope it's the New York Jets. Here's, here's to hope we're bad enough to be in the top 10. Yeah, that's true. And who knows what the NFL season is going to happen and what the draft order is going to look like. I don't know. But I am, I'm officially rambling at this point. I know I talk fast. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, yeah, any, any lasting thoughts on current state of college football? Um, hopefully it exists this fall. Yeah. Yeah, same. Um, we did get some Twitter questions. Uh, I, I know I posted it last week. We'll, we'll save those for another episode entirely because some of them are – already obsolete because things have changed. Some of them are, are more, you know, actual team stuff. So hopefully we'll get to do some previews. We'll get to do some some actual team stuff talking about the season. Uh, but if not, we'll try to find some more fun stuff to do in the off season. So if you guys can think of anything, uh, let us know. Um, I don't think I'll be a fan of another school for, for a season. Have you seen that? A lot of people are like, what should my school be? For? No, yeah, get, get out of here with that. I don't think I could do it. Like I would have fun watching the games. You know, I'll watch them. I'll bet on them. I'll get drunk all day. But like, I, I might be like a half-ass fan of another team, but not a real one. Yeah, maybe I'd pick one just to like have the ups and downs of like a season. But I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, I'm an LSU fan this season, or I'm a Texas fan this season. Like, yeah, and as, I'll put it this way: if if I did, as soon as they were out of contention for whatever conference championship, I wouldn't care. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> hope everyone's uh, hope everyone's doing well out there, staying safe, uh, staying positive with all the shitty news that we've gotten. Uh, hopefully, things change. Hopefully, we get something. Um, but like I said, let us know what you guys want to hear. If we don't, and uh, that's all I got. Pat, any last words? Uh, shout out to David Taylor, 
who during all this COVID event uh, was a part of a great wrestling event put on by Float Wrestling, um, went up against Ohio State great legend Miles Martin in a freestyle wrestling bout and teched him 10 nothing in about a minute and a half. It was tremendous. Amazing. Shout out. It was tremendous. <laughs> was this just like a random like event that they put together? Yeah, they just put, a, put on a card with a bunch of matches. Actually, Roman Bravo Young, also on it, nice. was, was like a six-point underdog in his match and absolutely dominated against an NCAA finalist and Jack Muller. Naturally. A tremendous event for Penn State. Uh, tremendous event for wrestling for the United States of America. And yeah, shout out to all the, all the Penn State guys on that card and hopefully on future cards. Look out. Flow Wrestling, I think, is looking to do more of these. And you might see guys like Jason Nolf and Bo Nickel, uh, maybe even Shakur Rashid, Vincenzo Joseph, guys like that on these future cards. Love it. Something to look forward to. Let's keep those spirits positive, put good vibes out into the universe. Maybe we'll get football. Thanks for listening. We are.